This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. I'm Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Man, we have a lot going on. In a matter of moments, we're going to hear about the Weaponization and Government Committee. We already had a preview during Fox and Friends, and I'll bring you some of that sound. It's just amazing to me. It's amazing to me this. If you're a whistleblower in government, you would think you have whistleblower protections. And they won't be afraid to retaliate against you. And I'm thinking about Matt Taibbi. Matt Taibbi, uh, for years, wrote for the Rolling Stone. Now he's independent on Substack. Then he gets called by Elon Musk to go uh, look at some of the Twitter files, at which times he does that, starts reporting on it, goes to testify. And because it's so negative towards Democrats and how they put their hand on the scale with the laptop and the election... The IRS is going to start auditing him. They actually knock on his door while he's testifying, and they don't care that everybody knows. I'll go over it again. Uh, Congressman Carlos Jimenez will be joining us at the bottom of the hour. He's from Florida. We'll talk 2024 and also talk about what is bringing Congress together, and it's China. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I believe we can if we come to a good agreement, because think of this. President said he wasn't going to negotiate. We were just going to raise the debt ceiling. First of all, we have just now been able to have a victory. The president could no longer say that. Yep, Kevin McCarthy, the speaker on a roll, loss of leverage for Joe, and a burst of optimism about a debt ceiling deal rises as Kevin McCarthy continues to keep the right tight. Number two. I believe that China is the most dangerous threat that we face as a nation. Indeed, it may be the most perilous adversary we have ever had. Robert Lighthizer would know. U.S. versus China. President Biden tries to keep allies together at the G7 and is fixated on China as he talks in Japan. Finally, Silicon Valley Dems and the GOP are on the same page. But will they sign off on the same plan? Will the president truly be on board? Number one. It's not just going after presidential candidates, presidential campaigns. Today, it's the American people. If you're a parent attending a school board meeting, you're a pro-lifer praying at a clinic, or you're a Catholic simply going to mass, you are a target of the government, target of the FBI. And it is. And that's where we'll begin. Weaponization of government inaction and denial at Durham conclusion is in full stride as Dems attempt to deny, confuse, and intimidate those who have not read the report and intimidate whistleblowers who want to report the corruption at the highest level of the FBI. You know, just to give you a preview of what was going on, Matt Gates 
was like a talk show host. Jim Jordan opened up. Matt Gates on the uh, on the Weaponization Government Committee came out and said, "I'm just going to show you two sound bites." FBI agents who stepped up because they see a problem. They see a problem with the FBI getting involved with these school bo- these uh, board board of education school board of education uh, hearings. He said, "I don't think we should be involved in this." He becomes a whistleblower. He gets a, he gets excoriated and retaliated against. Then we have another whistleblower that steps up and says, "You want me to stop pursuing?" child abusers in order to pursue January 6th people, and you wouldn't even show me the video of these evidently these citizens in my bureau and my auspices that made these violations? What's wrong with you? I'm not going to do that, as well as what people have noticed with the election and lack of pursuit when it comes to Hunter Biden. Whistleblowers stepped up, and they blatantly are retaliated against. So, and uh, their names... Uh, their names are out there, and I'm not. Uh, they're now full, full face, ready to go. And in fact, we saw them this morning. Uh, there's going to be four whistleblowers in particular, and I want Democrats to be just as upset. And I know people think I'm dreaming. Steve Friend, a whistleblower, former FBI agent, they've already retaliated against him. Wouldn't even let get, get him to his clothes. Marcus Allen, a whistleblower, FBI staff and operations specialist. And Brett Gloss, who we're looking at right now on television, he'll be a witness too. Garrett O'Boyle, actually, actually Garrett O'Boyle is who we're seeing right now. He's a special agent. Tristan Levitt is also supposed to testify. And we just think we have to protect whistleblowers. I don't care what they say. They might come out and say Donald Trump is the worst person in the world, and uh, this is my proof, and this is what I'm comfortable with. I want that person protected, and you should not be losing your job. That's, how, that's what I think. Here is Jim Jordan for a short time ago. Cut four. We know from the Durham report that these, these agencies have been weaponized and, and they'll go after a presidential candidate. But it's worse today because they will target the people. A parent at a school board meeting, right. a pro-lifer praying at a clinic, a Catholic attending mass. They will target people. And if you're brave like Mr. O'Boyle and you come forward and tell the truth, then they will try to crush you. They will retaliate against you just like they did to Garrett O'Boyle, a guy who served our country and has now went 250 days without getting paid because they took his clearance from him. How crazy is that? I mean, everything that we thought the government was set up. This is, you know, when I when Edward Snowden defected instead of becoming a whistleblower, I, I was one of the first people to say we have a system in place to protect whistleblowers. Why didn't he do that? Instead, he ends up going to Hong Kong and then he's in Russia. What's wrong with him? And I hated what he did, leaking out these stuff because it makes America weaker and more vulnerable. That's what I thought. But if if I see these FBI agents who everyone knows they're going to go public and they have access to a house now in the majority and they in the FBI, they still don't care. And the next time I see Christopher Ray talking about, wow, how I straightened everything out and how the path is clear, if anyone sees anything wrong, I could just say you're a flat out liar. Because you have not straightened out your agency, and if you did, you would have called last night when this became, and I'm sure you knew about this ahead of time, when the retaliation became public, you should have stepped up and said, this is the first time I knew about it, I'm taking action on it, I'm going to restore these guys' pay, I'm going to find out what they have to say. But I haven't heard a word from him. I hope that he didn't know about it, and I hope that he comes forward on it. So we'll, we'll dip it in and out of this testimony throughout the day. Molly Hemingway. I was talking about what's going on with the dorm report. I'm astounded. Shouldn't be. I'm astounded about what's going on. You read the 306 pages of the dorm report. This is the overall view. No collusion between Russia and Trump. Never was. 
There was no predicate to launch an investigation. Never should have been. No, obviously, if there's no reason to investigate, if there's no reason to launch an investigation, you don't need a Mueller report to find out what exactly went wrong. Hence, $30 million for the Mueller report, $6.5 million for the Durham report, a country 100% hamstrung, both sides of the aisle, the hatred through the roof, families broken up. He did collude. He didn't collude. Trump's the worst. Trump's the best. This all fomented it. And you had people with political motivations at the higher echelon of the FBI who still don't admit how disgraced they are. The worst in the House is Adam Schiff. Scarily, he wants to be the senator. And if it's allowed to go without a special election, Adam Schiff will replace Senator Feinstein at the end of her term. He's the favorite of Nancy Pelosi, who mentored this loser. Even though he should be disgraced, he promised and kept talking about the collusion that took place. He still is in denial about the contents of the Durham investigation. Cut one. This is an investigation that started in a flawed manner. It was conducted in a flawed manner. uh, And its conclusion uh, is a, a flawed conclusion. Flawed conclusion? What's flawed about it? There was no... Dossier was total fiction. Christopher Steele never went to Russia. Dushenko wasn't in Russia. Working, we thought, as a Russian agent in America, now for the Brookings Institute, should have been put in jail. Everything that you chased down, Papadopoulos, uh, Ambassador Downer, casual conversation, massive investigation. This was what's in the report. And this is what I urge you. Sometimes you pick up these documents and they're legal documents. I didn't go to law school and I think to myself, I can't even concentrate. This is so thick with legal ease. Not the dorm report. It really, it, it does read easy. Don't think 300 pages, I'm so busy, I got nine kids and nine places to be at the same time. I know it. But if you really want to know what happened and be disabused of the fact that Trump ever was in bed with Russia and that it wasn't a colossal waste of time, just read it. Arm yourself. Here's more from... Adam Schiff, cut to. The Durham investigation, and again, this was an investigation Donald Trump demanded, an investigation of the investigators. Bill Barr was only happy enough to comply by the appointment of Durham. Durham spends four years trying to prove this deep state conspiracy theory that uh, Trump kept, uh, you know, telling his base was going to be proven. And people like uh, Brennan and Pelosi and Schiff and others were going to be prosecuted. The whole thing, of course, was a big bust. Listen, it wasn't a bust. They listened in on Michael Flynn's phone calls, Papadopoulos, Carter Page. They got a FISA warrant, never informed Trump. Paul Manafort, they looked at old charges and put him in solitary confinement to break him and get him to admit that Donald Trump was an agent of Vladimir Putin. What do you mean these are dry holes? This is all a farce. This was illegitimately done. That doesn't fly. But I look at the headlines now. After years of political hype, the dorming inquiry failed to deliver. That's the New York Times. The Atlantic headline, David Frum, who came up with the uh, axis of evil. He wrote a sinister flop. Special counsel John Durham served up and not an investigation, but an excuse for future partisan abuses. What is he talking about? This exposed the partisan abuses. Where was the Republican abuse? I mean, that's these guys are so blind with anti-Trump rage, they can't even do what Jake Tapper did and said, this looks, the FBI looks terrible, and in many ways, Donald Trump's been vindicated. 
Believe me, you think that's easy for him to say? Did you see how exercised he was after the Trump town hall? It wasn't. So I, you know, this is the thing is, I worry that moderates, undecideds, persuadables are going to see the the preponderance of press that thinks the Durham investigation was a waste, that doesn't remember that Mueller investigation showed no collusion, that Horowitz showed the problem as an inspector general appointed by President Obama with all this. And they say the Horowitz investigation was very similar to Durham. You can't like Horowitz and not like Durham. Nicole Parker, I just wanted to bring this back up, a whistleblower, former special agent who left the FBI because she doesn't like the direction it was going. This is what she said after the Durham report, cut nine. Americans deserve better. And, you know, they say, you know, many are saying, oh, well, this uh, Durham report, this, this is not legitimate. This is not, you know, that's not the FBI saying that. I can tell you right now, as a former agent, back in 2019, when the inspector general's report came out, it was very clear that the FBI had failed. FB- yeah. The FBI failed, and, and they made major mistakes, and the FBI admitted to those mistakes, and now through the Durham report, it's becoming very, very clear what those mistakes were, and people do but- need to be held accountable. These were agents that were assigned to do this. These mm-hmm. are unbiased agents. They were doing the fact-finding. There was proof that there was information that had not been corroborated that was being used but- to go before a FISA court to swear out a warrant. That is completely unacceptable. That is not okay. It's not okay and never will be okay, and that's why the weaponization of government is so important to point this out. Uh, so we'll see, and I'll go into some highlights. Uh, this representative from uh, the Virgin Islands is speaking now, and this woman is just a firebrand uh, partisan, uh, wants to cut everything on race, is not even in front of these. Uh, this is one of these women who was so dismissive on Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger when they came out with the Twitter files that were exposed by Elon Musk when he spent billions of dollars to buy Twitter. She goes out there, wouldn't even let him speak, so-called journalists. So this is the woman who's a disgrace. And now she's speaking and she's talking about all the things that are done with white cops in front of uh, to black men and women. So not even talking to the FBI about why the FBI whistleblowers about what they're saying. Now, if you want to come and press them with potent with uh, pertinent questions, do it. Go ahead. Try to find out if the whistleblower has an agenda. Maybe they do. Let's find out. But to go over there and talk about something that has nothing to do with them is unbelievable. But it, you could be you could be concerned. Over there in the Virgin Islands about what's going on here with equal uh, equal justice. But you're not. Lastly, on the debt ceiling, for the longest time, Speaker um, Hastert, Newt Gingrich was a, was a rock star. But you could say Boehner all the time, Paul Ryan a little bit. And Kevin McCarthy takes over with this small majority, 14 votes, uh, uh, 14 rounds of voting before he becomes speaker with this four vote advantage. No one expected him to be effective. In fact, people expected one year in for them to vote to get rid of him. But now he's passed a major piece of legislation uh, through the House on a border plan and what the criteria would be to raise the debt ceiling. And now you have Joe Biden who said, I'm not negotiating on it. Well, he stepped up to, to Kevin McCarthy, put a plan in front of him. Then all of a sudden the G7 creeps up on him. The world economies are responding to the fact that we might be welching out on a lot of our debts, which is going to ripple through all the G7 economies. He's going over there to meet with them. He sees the embarrassment. He can't say I'm negotiating. So he has to go out there and show optimism that we're going to come up with a debt deal. And he's going to go, but he's going to leave early in order to show his sincerity. Kevin McCarthy brilliantly using the G7 and unifying his, his party – 
has now gotten leverage on the debt ceiling debate. And here's why it's important. We're over budget. So he's saying put a work requirement when it comes to able-bodied people getting welfare. It's a way to get back into the workforce, giving you a sense of worth, and also no free lunch. There are people that are not going to qualify for workforce. They can if they wanted to. I understand that. They're disabled or in an impossible economic situation. Divorce, one kid, no daycare, no money, can't do the work component. I understand it. There might even be a school component with it. And then going back to the 2022 budget, one year, one year, and then repurposing the pandemic money. Those are the types of things that would be done for the debt ceiling and then maybe sincerely go over the budget and go through some cuts. So it looks like Kevin McCarthy's in the driver's seat. We got a lot to talk about. I want to take your calls next, 1 866 408 7669. Carlos Jimenez will be at the bottom of the hour. You're next, Brian Kilmicho. Coming to you on a need to know basis because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's not just going after presidential candidates, presidential campaigns. Today, it's the American people. If you're a parent attending a school board meeting, you're a pro-lifer praying at a clinic, or you're a Catholic simply going to mass, you are a target of the government, target of the FBI. And maybe even worse than all that, if you're one of the, the thousands of good employees brave whistleblowers who's willing to come forward. If you're one of these folks willing to come forward and talk about what's going on out there, you get attacked. They will try to crush you. That is Jim Jordan at 8 o'clock this morning. He just had opening statements again, and now you have the FBI agents, the whistleblowers stepping forward. you got Garrett O'Boyle talking now. Iraq and Afghanistan joins the infantry, master's degree in law enforcement, was a cop, and now is an FBI special agent. Because he stepped up, because he saw things wrong, he's now listed as a malcontent, and they're trying to uh, and they're trying to destroy him. Uh, he's doing the right thing. I cannot wait to hear more from him. I'll bring it to you. Jay, listen on WDBO. Hey, Jay. Oh, hey, Brian. Sorry, I was on mute. Uh, yeah, Brian, I, I just want to kind of give you an independent view of sure. uh, the Durham report. And, um, you know, what what we're seeing from, you know, from our perspective. So the Durham report takes four years, and there's a whole, all this buildup and stuff like that. And there, there is no indictment. Um, so then, you know, it's, it's you know, there, you guys, uh, Republicans are talking a big game about, you know, Biden and all this type of stuff. But once again, there's no indictment. So it's, it's very hard for independent voters to keep hearing all this build up and build but up. Did you, build up. Jay, I understand. But there happened. was there were two indictments, three. Kline Smith uh, actually forged. Uh, forged a FISA document that said that Carter Page was not a CIA uh, asset. He was. 
And they wrote, oh, I've got to write not so I can get that FISA report done. So Kleinsmith was guilty. The other two were indicted. They went to a jury, and the jury found him innocent. They weren't. It was Washington, D.C. But, Jay, if you read it, a law, law and order aside, jail and prison aside, you understand there was no reason for the investigation. Trump was not guilty. There was no collusion. But there was a movement to make him illegitimate. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. My Republican colleagues would like me and others to believe that they've suddenly found religion when it comes to misconduct in law enforcement. Give me a break. When the FBI is rifling through personal correspondence of people of color, when law enforcement tries to push policies to limit the freedom of people practicing a different religion or unjustly pursuing people in cars who look like Philando Castile or my children, or who are just going about their business, or breaking down the doors of people's homes like Breonna Taylor? Do you think my Republican colleagues care about that? They don't bat an eye. But when the FBI investigates conservative Christian white men who are actually threatening violence, suddenly my Republican colleagues are rushing to defund the police. This uh, Virginia... Virgin Islands, Representative Stacey Plaskett continues to astound with her idiocy. We're trying to find out why whistleblowers are being attacked and what their message is. And because they happen to be white FBI guys who have lost their security clearance and have their lives destroyed, uh, she has to bring up Breonna Taylor. I mean, this is just nuts. Can you stay with the topic? I mean, I don't know how, uh, why these people, uh, what these people think they're doing for a living. Uh, Congressman Carlos Jimenez joins us now, House Armed Services Committee, Homeland Security in China, uh, Select Committee. And we'll get to all of that. But what an important hearing's going on right now. FBI agents with illustrious careers and great backgrounds uh, are, have, their record, have their lives destroyed by the FBI for being whistleblowers. Congressman, I didn't think this could happen. Uh, neither did I. Um, but uh, this is how far we've, uh, we've come. Uh, the weaponization of the uh, the federal government is real, and uh, it started some time ago. I believe it started during the Obama administration, and there was, may have been a pause, but I don't think President Trump had enough time to really clean out what had happened in the previous uh, eight years. And then now, you know, it's going full blast with the Biden administration. So this has uh, been a long time coming, Brian. It's not something that just has happened yesterday. Right. I mean, we're talking about this guy, uh, for example, who's just speaking, Garrett O'Boyle. Garrett O'Boyle fought in, Af- in Iraq and Afghanistan. He was in the infantry. Then he decides I'm going to be a police officer, get a master's in criminal justice. And then my goal was his goal was to be a special FBI agent. And he was. He saw what was going on there, spoke up and then had his life destroyed, his background expunged. He has not been paid because he was a whistleblower. You got this guy, Steve Friend. They won't release his records that he has a firearms training, so he can't even get a job at the Department of Agriculture because he's a whistleblower. Marcus Allen, African-American, by the way, whistleblower, FBI operative, a specialist. He's, he's going to be speak, he's speaking right now. Again, these guys step up. They know they're going to be they know they're going to have their day in the limelight to tell their story. And the FBI doesn't care. Doesn't that blow you away that the FBI doesn't care that they are punishing whistleblowers? Uh, Yeah. And and um, look, uh, you know, the problem is that uh, the FBI, DOJ, they work for the uh, the executive branch and uh, the president of the United States. And like I said, 
those branches of government, uh, the upper echelons, and I'm talking about, I'm not talking about the rank and file. The rank and file are good people uh, trying to protect America every single day, but the upper echelon, um, the ones that control, you know, the FBI, are uh, are political in nature, and there's no doubt about it. Look what happened to President Trump, uh, uh, the entire Russia collusion hoax. Uh, everybody knew that was a hoax, and he started an investigation to try to delegitimize a, a sitting United States president. Um, simply because they did not agree with that president's views, and they were from a different political party. And so um, it's very dangerous. Uh, it's something that you see in third-world countries, um, I'm, and I'm very happy that, uh, that uh, Jim Jordan is doing the job he's doing, exposing what's exactly going on in some of our, some of our um, you know, departments. How often does that happen when this woman like Stacey Plaskett sees these FBI agents there to tell their story, sees how they're being retaliated against, and just brings up something totally different that has nothing to do with this case, with these stories, and, of course, brings race into it? How often does that happen in these hearings? Because I I don't, you know, I'm on the air, and I'm not, you know, a lot of this stuff's on C-SPAN. Yeah, well, listen, that's, they'll, they'll do that in order to get, uh, you know, their 30 seconds, and then that's what will be shown on the, the major media outlets. Not, not what, the, uh, not what the, the testimony was, what, not what the abuses are, but really this kind of sidebar uh, to really kind of, you know, take you off on a different tangent, and then that's what the, the, the media, the, the mainstream media, is going to be using to try to, to educate the American people. And so that's the problem that we have, Brian. You know, we just... Uh, we have a willing uh, media that is uh, covering up for the abuses of this administration, uh, covering up for what's really right in front of their eyes, and not informing the American people, which is, you know, that you know, like a free press is critical to to America, is is critical to our freedom. But a free press means that it's free, that it's not it's not siding with one side or the other. It's not trying to cover up stuff. And, uh, you know, you, you, before on the break, you, uh, you had 1974, the Watergate investigation. You know, you had a couple of reporters that looked at a wisp of smoke, a wisp of smoke, this break in and said, hey, there must be a fire there. Today, the reporters have raging code one fire right in front of them. And their question is, what fire? All right. So, I mean, that's the difference between the, 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 the media journalism today and the journalism that you had back in the 70s and the 60s and, the, and the, you know, right up until, you know, the, the century. Yeah. And by the way, this guy, Marcus Allen, he's speaking now and says that there's a crackdown on people with conservative views inside the FBI. For the longest time, conservatives were the ones who considered law and order, always had the cops back and they had vice versa and to the point and the military, too. But they're going out of their way to change that. And now you have a legitimate crime crisis, defund and defame the police. According to the National Fraternal Order of Police, in 2023, 99 officers have been shot, 10 have been killed. The amount of officers shot in line of duty is up 57% from 2020. So we got a huge problem in this country, and I'm not, I, I thought we were beginning to turn the corner on it. Do you have any reason to believe we are? At this point, uh, you know, no. I mean, I think, look, the, the, the narrative of defunding the police, I don't think, is a very popular one. And so the, the Democrats even started to, to back away from Corey the Bush still the says it. Well, I know, but most, but, but really most mainstream Democrats have backed away from it. Uh, look, we've, uh, we're going to pass a resolution expressing our support 
for local law enforcement and condemning efforts to defund or dismantle the police. We're going to do that today. Uh, we passed the H.R. 2494, the Police Act of 2023, which says that any any migrant who uh, assaults a, a, a police officer, that's a you know, deportable uh, offense. And the, for, for, and the Federal Law Enforcement Officer Services Weapon Purchase Act means that uh, a retiring uh, officer can, can go ahead and purchase their weapons. Those are things that, uh, that we're passing uh, this week. Uh, this is, you know, Law Enforcement Week, and we're celebrating that. And we, we certainly um, support our local for, for, uh, officers and, uh, and our police officers. You know, one other, other stat that, that's uh, really kind of troubling for me is that the um, – Department of Justice uh, released a report in December showing that uh, as crime was skyrocketing across the United States, federal arrests actually decreased by 35 percent. So what in the heck are they doing at the, at the FBI? Are they just targeting their political opponents and not really looking at, uh, at criminals? And again, all of this comes from the top, Brian. This is not the rank-and-file members. The top has been weaponized. The top has been politicized. And they're driving the bus right now. Right. And these whistleblowers, if anyone's, if any FBI agent is upset about the way they're conducting their business, the way the Peter Strzok's, the Andy McCabe's and others, um, the Lisa Page and all these others, uh, they're watching now and they're finding out these stories. These decorated agents, this guy, uh, Marcus Allen's got his security clearance taken away and his license to carry a gun. They're just denying it. So when he goes to apply for another job, he can't get it. And he's got to tap into his retirement. And people listening right now who don't know it, FBI agents, it's not a big salary, right? You, you work. There's only 35,000 of them. You work nonstop, very serious cases. You don't do it to be rich. You, you don't right. become cops to be rich. You really can't wait. You can't miss too many paychecks. And this guy's no. by doing the right thing. They're getting totally screwed. Correct. And what, what we hope, though, is that uh, this will bring more whistleblowers to, you know, to the forefront and, and go against uh, their leadership. And uh, understanding that they may place themselves right. you know, at risk. And it's tough. And you know, this is a tough ask because you know, you're talking about people, you know, folks with families, and they have to feed their children and, and um, you know, put food on the table. And it's tough to ask. But the only way that we're going to defeat this is if more and more of these whistleblowers come forward and tell us exactly what's right. going on at uh, at the FBI. But you guys need a hammer, Look, Congressman. You guys need a hammer to get their 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 aid back, we, get their we clearance do, back. But remember, Brian. Remember, we can we can pass all kinds of laws here in, in Congress. The only thing that's going to change is when we have a different president, because the DOJ and the FBI work for the President of the United States. And the only way that this can happen, the only way we can really rectify this and clean house, is to have the presidency. So we need to win the presidency you in do. 2024. That's a different branch of government. We can pass all kinds of laws here. And, you know, by the way, you know who, who, who enforces the laws that we pass? The same DOJ and the FBI that we're talking about, okay? And so we can pass a zillion laws here, and unless they enforce it, you know, the, the, the federal government, the, the administrative branch can just thumb their nose at us and say, no, I don't think we're going to do that. Look what's happening at the border, for God's sake. Well, there are laws that prohibit what exactly is happening at the border, yet they continue to do it. Why? Because they know the DOJ and the FBI are not going to do anything. They're not going and they, to and they, and they say, the laws that we passed. And they keep saying things like, well, they need comprehensive insurance and uh, comprehensive reform, and uh, Congress has dropped the ball. It has nothing to do with it. That is not stopping no. you from enforcing the border. So that is a total head fake. Carl, uh, Congressman Carlos Jimenez is our guest. And we're just going over what's happening. Now, if I am Christopher Ray and I have an ounce of integrity, I'm watching this. 
and I'm making sure all these whistleblowers are protected, all their rights are restored, all their benefits are restored, their, their weapons permits are restored. So until that time, if they want to continue and they want, or they want to move on, they're allowed to get their reputations back. That he cannot stay silent in listening to this. If not, he's got to present himself and tell me why each one of these men uh, don't deserve their job back and don't deserve their protection. But I want to move on and talk about some other things that are happening, uh, one of which is a dorm report. It is released, and it proves there was no collusion. It proves the $30 million for the Mueller report and $6.5 million for the dorm report. And the Horowitz investigation all show no collusion with Trump and Russia. No apology for those who promised there was and wants to diminish the dorm's conclusions. Here's Adam Schiff, who should be ashamed to show his face, instead is running for Senate. Cut three. Their response to this big disappointment for Trump and for the MAGA crowd, let's go after Adam Schiff. Let's go after the person they most view as standing up for the rule of law, as standing up against uh, Trump and MAGA world, uh, leading the first impeachment, participating in the January 6th committee. That's what this is about. Those Republican members who lack the courage. Is that is that what this is about? Is that because you guys are looking to get him kicked out of the House? No, I think what this is about, we're searching for the truth. I know, look, I I knew the truth that back in 2016, it was obvious that it was the Democrat National Committee and the the Hillary Clinton campaign that actually was colluding with the Russians. They're the ones that produced the report. They're the ones that paid Russian informants. It wasn't Republican money that did that. Uh, And then all of this was circular in nature. And so, again, it was a a complicit, compliant uh, press. That, uh, that wanted to believe all this and probably even were part of this entire scenario. Uh, it was a FBI agents and DOJ that uh, wanted to damage you know, the president of the United States, delegitimize the president of the United States to set up a, a victory for Joe Biden in, uh, in 2020. It was Adam Schiff knowing that he lied to the American people time and time and time again. And now that all of it's come to light, that he did lie to the American people time and time again. Look, these people have no shame, Brian. They're not going to sit down there and they're not going to apologize. They're going to double down. And they have a compliant, uh, willing press that will, that will put, be on their side and tell their side of the story, even though that press knows pretty well that uh, whatever Adam Schiff is saying is a lie. Whatever the president is saying is a lie. Whatever Mallorca is saying is a lie. Uh, we have, you know, uh, incident after incident, you know, example after example of how they lie to the American people. But this press, mm-hmm. this media is compliant. This media is uh, is part of the entire, you know, apparatus. And so, uh, again, you know, it doesn't surprise me what Adam Schiff is going to say. He's never going to admit that he's wrong, for God's sake. But you, you think know, he'd he hide his head? Down. You think he would just keep no, his head down? No, 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 no. He's not going to hide his head. He's going to come out and say that uh, – we're all a bunch of MAGA Republicans. Well, like, listen, I am a make, make America great American. Absolutely. I am proud of that. I want to make America great. And so, you know, apparently uh, uh, Mr. Schiff doesn't want to make America great. I mean, I guess what kind of America does he want? All right. Because when he says MAGA Republican, yeah, I'm a Republican and I want to make America great. Yep. OK. Fantastic. Label me that all day long and twice on Sunday, please. Right. Uh, here is uh, the debt ceiling. Somehow you guys have gotten leverage in this situation. He's going to be it seems like he's going to be accepting cuts. He's on the uh, with the G7 right now. He's got to be a little bit embarrassed that, and has to explain himself how we might default on our debt and how we didn't want to deal for the longest time. The G7 is leverage. And the fact that you guys passed something out of the House of what it would take to raise the debt ceiling is additional leverage. Here's the president. Cut 20. I'm confident that we'll get the agreement on the budget. America will not default. 
And uh, every leader in the room understands the consequences if we fail to pay our bills. And he went on to say that, you know, I have in the past accept some work requirement when it comes to welfare, but nothing consequential. Uh, so tell me how you think this plays out and when a deal will be done. Don't know when the deal will be done, how it plays out. I don't know, because like I said, I never trust what the president says. OK, so if he's saying that he expects something, I'm not sure that he's not going to, you know, uh, retort back to the 14th Amendment. Uh, he's got some Democrats on his side saying forget about it and just, uh, in, you know, impose the 14th Amendment and uh, and raise the debt ceiling by yourself. Something that's never been done in, in the history, but I wouldn't put it past this president. I would hope that the president would come to the table and negotiate. Look, the, the House Republicans, we in the House, okay, have already done our job. We have passed. A, uh, a raising of the debt ceiling, but we've also need some spending cuts to go along with it. Whatever comes back, you know, needs to be voted again by this uh, this uh, conference and uh, mm-hmm. and and Congress, and so it has to pass 218 members. And so uh, we have faith that uh, Kevin McCarthy is uh, carrying the ball for for Congress, uh, at least for the House of Representatives, and uh, and we hope that the president, mm-hmm. you know, will come to his senses. And make uh, some of these uh, cuts, I, which are just common I, sense cuts. And the thing is, you don't even have to believe in Congressman. He has to. Congressman Carlos Jimenez, thanks so much of Florida. Back in a moment, Brian Kilmeade Show. Calls next. It's Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. I've been smeared as a malcontent and subpar FBI employee. This smear stands in stark contrast to my life in public service. This smear campaign, disgusting as it is, is unsurprising. Despite our oath to uphold the Constitution, too many in the FBI aren't willing to sacrifice for the hard right over the easy wrong. They see what becomes of whistleblowers, how the FBI destroys their careers, suspends them under false pretenses, takes their security clearances and pay with no true options for real recourse or remedy. This is by design. It creates an Orwellian atmosphere that silences opposition and discussion. We know what is right to do, yet we too often refuse to do what is right because of the difficulty and suffering it incurs. And that is uh, Garrett O'Boyle. Uh, he was talking about his situation. That's the one who served in the infantry, one served as a police officer, one got his master's in criminal justice, became a special agent in the FBI, saw the, some of the corruption in and around him, spoke up, and then they stripped him of everything, his background, ability to get his clothes, ability to get his background in order to get another job. So he's basically unemployable because he stepped up and did what he's supposed to do. When he saw something wrong, especially in law enforcement, one sought whistleblower protection, but that protection never came. It never came for the other people testifying right now. And that should bother Democrats, too. I would love to see this is an issue. You don't have to support tax cuts you don't want. You don't have to support foreign policy you don't like. But law and order and whistleblowers, I thought that would be universal. Didn't you? Write me, BrianKillMe.com, uh, and you just click on comments right on my website. So glad you're here. Brian Kilmeade Show. We'll bring you the latest. Don't move. Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show at 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world. So glad you're here. Uh, Big day going on. We're going to dip in and out of these hearings with these four whistleblowers in the FBI who stood up, spoke out because they didn't like the politicization 
for various reasons of the agency and then have their lives destroyed. This is their moment to speak, and every Democrat's going out of their way to find out something nebulous about their testimony they didn't like, something about the hearing that is, they don't feel as though is incorrect. So instead of giving their, their, these people their time, who has already served their country, not for zillions of dollars, uh, they're trying to just to move through. So these Republicans and Democrats are arguing with each other rather than try to get to the bottom of these issues. Mark Thiessen standing by. David Bonson will talk a little bit about the economy, the debt ceiling, what the president's trying to accomplish at the G7 where he is right now. Uh, let's bring in Mark Thiessen, former chief speechwriter for Bush, Washington Post columnist and a fellow at the Inter- American Enterprise Institute. Uh, Mark, welcome back. Are you watching any of these hearings? Uh, I, I actually have not been watching it yet this morning. I, I have it on in the background, but I've been I've been finalizing a column, so I've been uh, watch, tuning in and out. But you, I mean, what what I can tell you is clear is that there are you know we there's a, the FBI is in, in Ill, Ill repute these days for very good reasons, particularly with the Durham report. But there are good people within the FBI who want to fix it, and it's an essential institution for our for our country. But, but these people and are being but, the FBI. But they're they're, they're they have spoken up. And their backgrounds yeah. are unbelievable of sacrifice and service. And they have spoken up and they've had their lives destroyed. They knew yeah. that when the FBI is doing this, they knew these agents have the ability to go to a, a lawmaker and a camera and tell their story. And they don't even care. Now, think about this. If they'll destroy the lives of an agent and make sure they don't get hired anywhere else by keeping back their security clearance or their weapons licenses or their records... What could they do against me or you, Mark, or anybody listening right now? Yeah, I mean, just read the Durham report. It's 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 just an, a damning indictment of the uh, of the uh, of the institution. I mean, the, the the most damning thing was that I found in there was the fact that he he says that this is a quote: the FBI personnel, both then and in hindsight acknowledged they did not genuinely believe there was probable cause to believe that the Trump campaign knowingly engaged in clandestine intelligence activities on behalf of a foreign power, unquote. That they knew that there was that probable cause and they still went after him. It, it is the most clear weaponization of our justice system uh, against a political party and a movement and an individual uh, that they didn't like that I that I've ever seen in my life. And it's it's just and and the fact that the media just says she treats it like a nothing burger says, you know, this is nothing to see here. It's because it's it's an indictment of them, too, because the media parroted these lies for two years. And then Mueller came out and said, actually, no. It wasn't true. And they're like, OK, let's move on. <laughs> and so the Durham report is an inconvenient reminder four years later that, uh, no, we can't move on. It's actually really corrupt institution that needs to be fundamentally reformed. So I go to The Washington Post and Mark Thiessen's column says the Durham report is a damning indictment of the FBI and the media. Yep. Now, before I yep. even saw your name on, I go, finally, somebody's sober. And then I saw it to you. Uh, and I, that's what I expected. I was hoping... I was hoping. I know you're never sober. Uh, but but then I said, I'm like, I wish it was someone I didn't know because I'd expect you to be fair. I wanted someone else to surprise me like Jake Tapper did when Jake Tapper came out and said the, the FBI looks terrible here. And to a degree, Donald Trump's been vindicated. But everything else is just terrible and inaccurate. After years of political hype, the Durham inquiry failed to deliver. That, according to Charlie Savage in The New York Times. The Atlantic, a sinister flop. Special counsel John Durham served up an investigation, and not an investigation, but an excuse for future partisan abuses. 
And this goes on. And now there are a couple other columns, but very few. And for the undecided, for the people that have four jobs and five kids or distractions and stress in their life that were undecided, independent or moderate, I'm afraid they're not going to see Mark Thiessen. They're going to see the plethora of others articles. Well, in, in modest defense of the, of the of the post, they do hire me and they do employ me and they let me write this stuff. So, you know, that, that's, uh, that's part of my job of being there. But look, the, the reality is, I mean, the, the beauty of today is that there is a diversity of places where you can get your news and that not everybody's tuning in uh, to the Post or the Times. And there's no tuning into Fox News where they're getting the truth. So, you know, we've, we've got a job to do, which is to balance out this coverage. And you do it every day. On, and I sometimes do it with you on this radio show and on your show, on your TV program. And I do it in the Post. And, uh, you know, we've, we've got to get the word out. But, it's, you know, th- this is why. Brian, the, the the trust in the media is at an all time yeah. low. Be, I mean, there was a, I was there, I quote in my column a, a stunning poll, which is a New York Times poll, New York Times Siena poll. So this is the, the Times should should be paying attention to its own poll. But eighty four percent of respondents, this is last October, eighty four percent of respondents see the media as a threat to democracy, including fifty nine percent who agreed it was a major threat. And in that poll, more Americans said the media is a major threat to democracy than said Trump is. That I mean, that's a New York Times poll. So you would think the New York Times would look at its own poll and say, hmm, maybe that's a problem for me. And it's because and it's and it stems from the whole Russia collusion thing, because they 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 parroted these lies for years. It turned out not. And, you know, I looked at it when when this first came up with the FBI, I was like, okay, FBI is a serious organization. These are serious accusations. Let's see what they come up with. Right. And it turned out that they came up with nothing and that it was all political. And that's and and then the media parroted this, and then they we get to January, you know, January 2020 uh, after the election, 2021, when Trump is saying that there was election fraud, which there wasn't, and and the media says actually he's not telling the truth, and most Americans don't listen. It's like the boy who cried wolf because they they say well they lied to us about him. With the Russia thing, why should we believe them about yeah. the election, uh, the election stuff? And so, when the wolf actually comes, and there's a there, they, and he, and there's a, they, and you know, there's a cl- false claim that the election was stolen. They, we have no objective arbiter of truth left in this country because they've so destroyed their credibility because they've made a priority of stopping Trump, and all the guardrails fell off. They, they, the irony is that they want to stop Trump to save democracy, but they've, they've destroyed the fundamental institutions of our democracy in order to stop it. Um, and, and they've done more damage than he ever did. To me, the four years with Trump reminded me of trying to get on the road and being told to pull over the exits closed, the exits closed. And they go, well, so you drive down the road, you go, there's no reason for that road not to be open. And those turnoff exits would be something with the Russia investigation. Donald Trump Jr. had this meeting. Uh, Paul Manafort has this context. uh, Michael Flynn was invited to this event in Russia. And I'm saying to myself, the North Korea meeting just took place. I'm saying to myself, this this uh, they actually did criminal justice reform in a very effective bipartisan way. We don't even talk about it. The Abraham Accords, the moving of the I mean, every time something would be okay. this is the news. I'd be forced to get off on the off ramp and say, what is yep. going on with this? And to me, You're, that happened for four years and the country w- was worse off for it. 
You're you're 100 percent correct. I mean, and and many times Trump is his own worst enemy because he keeps he keeps giving them the pretext to do it. It doesn't justify what they do, but he keeps giving them you know reasons to go after him, like the call with Zelensky, which was not an impeachable offense and by any stretch of the imagination, but but it wasn't a perfect phone call. It was the opposite. It was really stupid to ask the president of Ukraine to investigate Hunter Biden. You know, you just don't do that. So, you know, and, and like, you know, when, a lot of the things he said during the campaign about Russia, actually, it turned out that his policy was the polar opposite of his language on yeah. Russia. He was one of the toughest presidents on Russia since Ronald Reagan. He was probably the toughest since Ronald Reagan. But he said a lot of things about Russia during the campaign that were just dumb. But having a bad Russia policy isn't criminal. And being wrong about Putin isn't criminal. It's, it, it may be politically wrong. And it's just they, they took all the guardrails off of our, of, of our system, and then they wonder why nobody trusts them. Yeah, and, and, and that's bad for our democracy. You know, the irony, Brian, is that all of our institutions worked on January 6th, right? Congress ended up doing its job. My, Vice President Mike Pence did the right thing. The, 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 the pro-Trump state legislatures in these states refused to change the electoral votes. The state election officials, Republicans, did the right thing. The Trump-appointed judges the, you know, ruled objectively. The only institution that failed was the media. Because they had so destroyed their credibility that nobody – their job was to separate fact from fiction and present an objective story, and they couldn't do it. They couldn't do their job because, because of this Russia probe, because this – the Russia lies, they told, had so destroyed their credibility that nobody trusted them anymore. And so they're the only institution that failed us uh, on that day. You know, you know what's so interesting is it's happening again. So last night, I, I'm flipping around to do a show like this and try to get a different perspective. I'm always flipping around. I stopped for a while because it was the same Russia thing all the time, and I just had no interest in it, and I know it was fiction. But last night, they said they have breaking news. Okay, what's this breaking news on CNN? The breaking news that Donald Trump knew of the legal requirements when it comes to declassifying that material, and he took it to Mar-a-Lago anyway. And there they go for the next two hours about legal documents in Mar-a-Lago. Okay. We're back to Jack Smith taken from The Hague to investigate documents to a degree that have been taken by every president from here to kingdom come. They say that Reagan even took some. Now we find out that Biden took them, hundreds of thousands of documents from the University of Delaware, from his lawyer's office in Boston, from his University of Pennsylvania office in Virginia, and now from his garage with his Corvette. So having said all that, they really want the country to go focus on Trump again on Mar-a-Lago. There is so many stories. Let the investigation happen. We have seen no leaks. Nobody cares. Nobody cares about the rules of classified documents. You're going to bring in a diamond, bring in a diamond, we'll deal with it. But that's what they live on. They actually live for the next revelation, which mean nothing about Donald Trump. And I'm saying, did you not even read the Durham report? All these dry holes you sent your, your company down? With your exclusive reporting from anti-Trumpers at the archives, which they turn out all to be. Yeah. So, you know, the, here's the thing about the Durham report that they're ignoring that's the most damning is that Igor Deschenko, the guy who was the source for 80 percent of the Steele dossier, was under investigation by the FBI for being a Russian spy. <laughs> OK, he, he and, and that was that it was unresolved. He worked at the Brookings Institution and he went up to a person who he thought was about to join the Obama administration and asked them if they would be willing at a future date to trade money for classified information. And 
this opened up a, an investigation. The, the, the preliminary investigation found that he had tied to Russian intelligence. And so they launched a full investigation, and then they, they suspended it because they thought he left the country when he had they, and then, they, and then they they start making him a, a confidential source. They ignore the vetting in the vetting process. Some FBI, good people in the FBI say, "Hey, you know, this was never resolved," and they completely steamroll and give him hundreds of thousands of dollars and make him the source. And they don't tell that to the FISA court that he was under investigation for being a Russia spy. And Durham actually says it is possible that the a possibility that the FBI ignored was that. Dushenko was providing Russian disinformation. So the Russian disinformation in the 2016 campaign could have actually been from the Clinton-funded dossier, not for for Donald Trump, uh, you know, colluding with Russia. This is such a huge story. And it's just – and they won't report it, and they won't cover it because we're back to where we were before, which is that Donald Trump could be president again, and they've got to stop him. And anything that could possibly help him that could be positive about him – has to be stopped. And, and so they and, won't report it. And here's where, you know, and here's what's uh, upside down is the more Trump looks like he's being unjustly treated, the more uh, approval he gets amongst Republicans. Exactly. Exactly. Because there's a rallying effect. Uh, and I get that because he has been unfairly, unfairly treated. So, you know, they, they but and there, to some extent, I think they want that. Because they think he's the they they look at and they say he's the guy he's probably the only guy that Biden can beat. <laughs> they think they could win they could beat him. Yeah, uh, and right. and it, and so the, and so they want him to be the nominee, and they want us to rally around him, and they want to create that that whole dynamic because Biden beat him once. They 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 he, they did really well, better than expected in the midterms by beating the candidates who were Trump Trump endorsed. They think they well, won a bunch of elections running against him. They could be wrong. They were wrong. They thought Hillary Clinton was going to beat him, and they were wrong. He could, you know, this is this is dangerous stuff if you think that right. the, the Trump's a threat to our democracy. And I just want to reset for our audience: the thing that's different, everything, no longer is the former vice president who was out of politics for four years. No longer can he portray himself as this moderate influence of professionalism uh, and bringing normalcy back because they've seen his policies. Yeah. So if America legitimately looks at both administrations and says what's better for the country trump wins if they want to yeah, talk about maybe. how bad the, how bad biden's doing at the border how bad he's yeah. doing the, the economy how bad he how how bad he's doing uh how bad he's doing overseas what is going on with the middle east with central and south america his foreign policy is a train wreck now having said that but that, that works but, to that's trump. Was, but that's what was so worrying about the cnn town hall because that's not what trump talked about he, yeah, you're talking he, about he, as a campaigner. They they asked him, you know, they they obviously they were going to try. And he had make the parrot. You know, they wanted January to. 6th. You know, they let him down there. He didn't walk they out bet, saying, "Let they, me talk about 2020." You know that he did. He did. He had a he had the seat in his pocket because he, he knew was, they were going to ask. He was ready and willing and able to do that. That's what he wanted to talk about. I'm telling you, he wants to talk about that. When they she asked his her first question to him was, "You're under federal investigation, blah blah blah. Why should Americans give make you president again?" And the answer should have been because I was a great president. Joe Biden is a disaster. Look at the disasters he's unleashed. Look at my policies. Which do you want? It's a clear choice. Do you want this or that? And he said because the 2020 his answer was because the 2020 election was stolen. It was rigged. WPA intelligence survey, the WPA intelligence survey, which I never heard of, but it's in it's out today. Uh, They looked at fifteen hundred registered voters. Biden beats Trump by seven. So that's a little disturbing. Uh, he beat him yeah. by 4.5 last time. 
Uh, Mark, uh, thank, thanks so much for being the voice of reason. Thank you, my friend. Mark Thiessen, back in a moment. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's up to members of this committee, current and former FBI employees, and indeed all Americans, to ensure that the weaponization of our own government against the people comes to an end, no matter the personal cost. The safeguards currently in place at the FBI are clearly inadequate and must be reworked to protect whistleblowers and others who are inappropriately targeted. The FBI can extract whatever they want from me. I'm willing to bear that burden. I've sworn to defend this country from enemies, both foreign and domestic, even if that means sacrificing my life. I've lived that oath out since first enlisting in the Army, consistently saying, here am I, send me. My oath, however, did not include sacrificing the hopes, dreams, and livelihood of my family. My strong, beautiful, and courageous wife and our four sweet and beautiful daughters who have endured this process along with me. So that is uh, O'Boyle, who served in the Army, and uh, he's got this rich background. He came a whistleblower with the FBI. And uh, and was uh, and and right now has lost almost everything. So he's testifying right now, and and just fascinating on the weaponization of government committee to see the Democrats just being totally rude and abusive with these FBI whistleblowers is unbelievable. See them do the inner fighting to distract and try to delegitimize the weaponization hearing is unbelievable. Debbie Wasserman Schutz is a despicable human being. She doesn't serve the country uh, well. Every time she's on camera, and she certainly destroyed the DNC was just on asking a series of questions and would not let the FBI agent uh, friend answer any of this, any question. So you, you ask him a question, you want yes or no, it's not a yes or no question, he goes to answer and they cut him off. So you serve your country, you whistleblower your country, you get stripped of all your ability to make a living, then you testify to get your rights back and you're treated like this. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I believe we can if we come to a good agreement. Because think of this. We, the president said he wasn't going to negotiate. We were just going to raise the debt ceiling. First of all, we have just now been able to have a victory. The president could no longer say that. So no, the debt ceiling will not get raised with no changes. So uh, Kevin McCarthy, I think, is winning this battle. Because there is going to be a negotiation because the president of the United States... Uh, is pretty much boxed in, and he wasn't. He felt as though he had leverage. He goes to the G7 trying to convince them that things will be worked out. David Bonson, founder and managing partner and chief investment officer of the Bonson Group, joins us now. Uh, David, first off, the president needs to reassure the G7, these powerful economies, that we're not going to default. Therefore, he does lose a lot of domestic leverage, doesn't he? Oh, he does. I mean, I think that at the end of the day, Speaker McCarthy got the leverage when the House passed their bill. If they had not done that and they just went and said, we're going to hold hostage, uh, the politics would have been terrible for them. Once he got his caucus to pass the bill, this puts it squarely in the president's lap. And now he has global pressure. And that's a big deal to them. You remember back in 2008, Secretary Paulson having to take calls from China, Saudi Arabia about Fannie and Freddie. They don't like messaging that our house is not in order with global financial. And it wasn't in order. Everything, the, The world was falling apart. Our banking system needed TARP. I guess, so to speak. So the president of the United States tried to marginalize that passage of that House bill by saying, well, they just want to cut veterans benefits and they want to cut Medicare and they want to cut Medicaid. He said, well, no, we got to go back to 2022 spending. That was that's what's in the bill. They left that uh, amorphous 
because they did not want to be pigeonholed into being told they hate seniors and they want to steal uh, they want to steal their medical bills. Yeah, I think that he tried to marginalize it, but what he mostly tried to do is lie about it, right? He just slandered what they've done. And, but it, I don't even think I was they, trying to be nice. Exactly. But see, that's <laughs> the problem right now with what the White House is doing is we just take for granted that they're going to spin everything. And, and in this case, it didn't work. Um, even this ongoing debate about uh, work requirement. Uh, you know, the, the the Republicans did put in there they wanted that on Medicaid. The Democrats look like they're going to fold on that on food stamps. But either way, that's not the same thing as saying you want to cut benefits. You want to have work requirements that we've had attached to people receiving social safety net forever. And so I think that the lies about this have not really gone well. And clearly he is negotiating. I don't imagine Speaker McCarthy gets everything he wants at the end. But last I checked, that's how negotiations work. I thought so, too. Uh, Here's the president. Cut 20. I'm confident that we'll get the agreement on the budget that America will not default. And uh, every leader in the room understands the consequences that we fail to pay our bills. And it would be catastrophic for the uh, for the American economy and the American people <clears throat> if we didn't pay our bills. You know, there's one thing that really bothers me, what you just played. He switched mid-sentence. He said default and pay bills. Those are two different things. A default that everyone keeps talking about selectively is a technical term meaning not paying principal or interest on your debt. Not The paying bills thing is reshuffling, prioritizing payments. They are not one and the same. We've reprioritized payments dozens of times just in my lifetime as they've gone through this stuff. They use the threat of default, which can only happen if President Biden makes it happen. He can just simply order Treasury to prioritize not paying the debt. Yeah, it, it would We've be been a decision. Down this, yeah, everyone knows this. We're able to move money around. Of course. Uh, so this just came across. Democratic lawmakers are warning President Biden against negotiating at all. With, with Kevin McCarthy. Senate Dems raise the alarms about it. This is the quote from Hawaii Democrat Brian Schatz. He says, yes, he's negotiating. I don't know what else you can call it. No, we're not going to swallow that. I think it is a preposterous that the Speaker of the House has woken up sometime this week and decided that work requirements for needy families was a hill to die on. No, it was some of the work requirements that were part of welfare reform in 1995, I think it was. Signed by President Biden. Signed by uh, Clinton. I mean, I voted yes on by President Biden. Yeah, uh, by Senator, yeah. By, time, yeah. Yeah, 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 Senator Biden. So uh, Ken McCarthy says, yeah, I want a work requirement. By the way, there's so many positives to a work requirement welfare because people that legitimately want to work and get back to work, they're getting this paycheck or they are lazy. And it's not for the single mom just got divorced, lucky to make payments uh, that can't afford health care. It is for somebody who's able-bodied and getting welfare checks. You go out there and you you go ahead and you do some form of service. You're in the workplace. That's where you're going to make connections. That's how you're going to get back there. That's how you restore some self-esteem. Also, 2022 spending. When was 2022? That long ago? Oh, wait a second. A year ago. Yeah. Why? What's so bad about getting back to 2022 spending? Well, the reality is, is that uh, we are trillions of dollars more in debt than we were just a few years ago. And that if people were being really fiscally hardliner about this, they'd be demanding cuts. He's not demanding cuts. He's demanding freezing spending in place, slowing the growth of spending. That work requirement thing, by the way, let's be clear, doesn't require them to find a job either. It requires them to be looking for one. And so people down on their luck that are merely going through a process of looking for a job. But that's something that Bill Clinton agreed to, that when he was a senator then voting on it, uh, President Biden agreed. Uh, My argument, if I were a liberal Democrat who loves social safety net, and I'm not, if I were, I would support a work requirement. 
because I think that it's about the dignity of the person. And it's absolutely awful to think that we want to codify and institutionalize dependency on the state. So with, with President, uh, President Biden going there, Kim McCarthy was critical of him going. He's got to go. I think he's got to go show up, go to Japan, talk to everyone. I think for national security reasons to show a unified uh, front in front of China personally. I know Kevin McCarthy's critical of that. I'm not. But in terms of politics, if they're able to come back and get a lot of what McCarthy proposed, this is what uh, Axios' Josh Kraschauer said last night. Cut 23. This is a, a far cry from when Biden was saying he would not negotiate with Republicans under any circumstances. And the reaction you're hearing from Senator Markey, Senator Merkley, the progressives on Capitol Hill, I think reflects the worry, the desperation that Biden is going to play ball. He is going to support maybe cutting some spending, not exactly everything the House Republicans want, but maybe the, there will be work requirements as part of a, a compromise. And look, it, it is a testament to Kevin McCarthy. He's had a nice, nice two-month stretch here where he has focused on crime, immigration, and spending cuts. And if Biden does end up compromising with House Republicans, that, that's a nice trifecta for, for, for Speaker McCarthy. You agree? Oh, it's really been a good couple months for Speaker McCarthy, better than many of us would have expected. And I think that President Biden is doing what he should be doing by negotiating. When we say Democrats are criticizing him for negotiating, I think we should be clear it's a few Democrats. It's really radical progressives. Because if Schumer didn't want it, he could have stopped it. He that's could've... right. And most of the central, more moderate Democrats are well aware this is what you're supposed to do. But, you know, I don't think President Biden cares that people are saying, oh, remember when you negotiated with McConnell back in 2012 and we ended up getting that, the tax extension deal. I think President Biden in his heart of hearts knows he did the right thing at that time uh, for the Obama administration, that they weren't going to get a much better deal and that negotiation was a part of it. He and McConnell been around a long time. They do things I don't like. But that I, Biden is immune to that criticism from the progressives and particularly since he's given the progressives way more than uh, he should have in the first couple years of this presidency. So if they want to see an actual deterioration of these circumstances happen, it's not going to be blamed on the Republicans now. This is not 2011. It's not John Boehner. It's not uh, Obama popularity. This will fall under Biden, and the progressives don't know what they're doing politically. David Bonson, our guest, uh, he's the founder of the Managing Partner and Chief Investment Officer with the Bonson Group. David, when you uh, look right now at what's happening with illegal immigration, normally I wouldn't bring that up to you as a finance guy, but it has everything to do with what's happening in these cities. If you look at how Chicago's reacted, you see how New York is overwhelmed, going to spend $430 billion on these, on these legal immigrants. It's forcing people to pick up and move out of California, out of, out of New York, out of Chicago, and go other places. What is it doing for where the economy's moving, where the money's moving? Well, it's certainly one of many grotesque inefficiencies that is suboptimal for the economy and moves money where it shouldn't be moving. We need all of our capital going to things that grow, that create jobs, that uh, meet the needs of humanity by producing new goods and services, doing things like this, dealing with crime. The cost of enforcement, by the way, in the big cities is mostly understated. Because it gets hidden into the earning statement of a Walmart and you don't see what they had to spend for their own shoplifting uh, rebuff and so forth. Um, I think the immigration issue, Brian, at large is very complicated. I don't always fall on the side of my conservative brethren on this. I uh, do desire rule of law. I do desire the federal government to do their job. I do desire them to protect the border. Um, I don't want to pretend that we can go deport 17 million people tomorrow. We're not. It's not going to happen. 
But uh, and these days that kind of gets you called, you know, in favor of amnesty or something. It's not really fair. But as far as what you're referring to, what's going on in big cities, cities calling themselves sanctuary cities, thumbing their nose at rule of law, it's a big problem. It needs to stop. And when you talk about this, you talk about the labor force. We absolutely need more people in the labor force. And when many countries are recruiting what we have bleeding into our country at our southern border. There are, there are countries, especially in the Middle East, they need people to work, but we just got to do it in an orderly way. You get work visas and figure out a way to do it and figure out a way to track it. Um, having 12-year-olds work in sweatshops in a farm uh, for sponsored families as part of a paying off a cartel, pretty much not the American way. But when you're talking about crime, look at Target. Target expects to organize retail crime fuel losses. Uh, they still had their tax, I guess, their, their stock price increase. But they're now factoring in the amount of theft at $1.3 billion to hit their bottom line. And Walmart said this morning $3 billion. So in two days, you've had Target and Walmart refer to $4.3 billion of annual shoplifting expense. Two companies, $4.3 billion. It's totally unacceptable. Not merely for the economic loss, by the way, but what it says about the social and cultural fabric of the country. That that kind of loss could be tolerated. It's staggering. But I do think that the um, uh, overall crime issue politically is playing well for the Republicans. Culturally, for the sake of our country, we just need bipartisan effort now to put an end to it. And we're not getting that the way you would expect from Democrats. I mean, when you look at, for example, retailers closing up in major cities like San Francisco because they can't control it, because security can't provide it. And they're admitting so. Nordstrom's is a kind of CVS. But see, Nordstrom's was interesting because that's kind of a left leaning uh, company and sort of a bourgeois upper end customer. They came in and just said, look, we're closing and it's because of crime. And they closed two stores. And they said because no one's doing anything about the crime, nobody cares. These are stores that have been there forever. And they flat out admitted this is why. They're going against the talking points to say this is not working. We cannot do it. It's happening all over. Uh, just a quick look at China. China, I understand. I was just reading yesterday that they have for between 18 to, uh, to 25, they have about 20 percent unemployment. They have, a bunch, they have a whole generation not working right now in China and are economically, they have not stood up as quick as they can. They still have supply chain issues. I don't know how much longer they can fuel their Belt and Road program building up other countries if they seem to be suffering at home. Are the, what is the reality of China's economic situation? Well, it's very complicated. It's nowhere near what the Soviet Union was when they ended up falling. When we found out the Soviet Union was a failed economic country, it changed everything about Reagan Cold War policy. Um, one of the big problems is we're a debtor nation and they're a creditor nation. So uh, we we have about 10% twin deficits. Our trade deficit and our budget deficit are big, 10% of our economy, and we need countries like China to fund that difference. And we have no interest in becoming a better saving country in America. I don't, I don't say that uh, merely as a criticism. It is a criticism, but I also just say it as a fact. China is a little different in that – they are in the position of selling ex, uh, exports where we're having to buy exports, right? I think that uh, the big competition China sees now is uh, other places in Southeast Asia. It's even it's even um, uh, Mexico and, and other uh, more regional North American countries that can serve uh, a lot of those trade needs. 
their lockdowns lasted way too long. And uh, there's a big black market in China, too, that that unemployment number overstates. There's a lot of people employed in China that you don't see in the data. Uh, but their economy has not grown and stood up the way people thought it would by now, especially on the doomsdayers. Communism is a failed political and economic philosophy. And uh, ultimately, I do not believe the doomsdayers that say that China is going to eat our lunch. Right. Uh, eventually, I think you're right. In the short term, I'm wondering if you are. Um, but I'm just looking at they've taken out any free market principles that would allow an Alibaba to, to start up again. They seem to be seeing success and trying to nationalize that success. And if if these are smart people, and I imagine they are, don't they see that the model of pure communism, it will not be successful long term? Don't they see that that personal initiative is key? Um, no, it's not about smarts, by the way. It is, I, I know what you're saying, but I think it is, it, we underestimate evil. OK, I mean, communism is an evil philosophy. And what they did in a more modernized sense of communism after Deng Xiaoping was say, we think we can have some economic liberty and still have political and civic tyranny. And, and Milton Friedman always taught us that economic liberty is a necessary but not sufficient condition for a free society. So what China's running into is a tension. They didn't have the Soviet Union. They had no economic or political liberty. China's tried to have a little bit, and it's been better, right? They've gotten much better GDP growth than a Soviet Union did. But can they really be a superpower that's sustainable mm. without full political, civil – by the way, religious liberty too. Yeah. A country needs to have uh, capital that go, comes and goes. It needs to have people freely worshiping as well. That, and, and they don't have that. Right. Or a set of morals and standards exactly. no matter how you get them. Uh, listen, David Bonson, a couple more minutes when we come back. Uh, we are tracking what's going on with these hearings uh, around the country and, of course, in Washington. The weaponization of government. A little bit scary. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. We're back. Uh, we're back. We got a couple more minutes here with uh, David Bonson, founder, managing partner, and chief investment officer with the Bonson Group. Uh, David, when you, if you, if you're uh, the president of the United States. What are you saying to Japan, who wants to double their defense budget? What are you saying to South Korea? What are you saying to the to the G7? We know this that France just tried to do something by raise the retirement age by two years. Massive riots. Are people in the West looking to give up some of the structure for growth? Oh, they've already given it up. I mean, of course they are. And that's the whole problem we've been mm-hmm. facing for 30 years is we face what Japan has been dealing with. 30 years of no growth. Uh, they do need to uh, double their defense spending. Unfortunately, I think that means doubling it from $20 to $40. But Japan has been totally underinvested in their own defense. South Korea, they need to take this stuff more seriously. But then when you refer to the cultural issue that's plagued Western Europe, it's been going on a long time. And it's almost comical that, that there would be this uh, uproar over people working two more years uh, in France. My concern as an American is us adopting that mentality. And in fairness to America, we haven't had it for the most part. 200 and almost 50 years, there's been a real entrepreneurial, industrious DNA that's made us the economic envy of the world. 
And post-industrial revolution, Europe was exploding, Asia was exploding, UK was doing great, and we were doing great, but we were doing greater than everyone else because the industrial revolution came to everybody, but it came to us with entrepreneurialism, with grit, with a certain work ethic. That's been lacking in Europe for a long time. My concern is those types of things coming here. Well, I want you to hear uh, Robert Lighthizer talk about this. Let's listen to what he thinks China and what we're up against. I believe that China is the most dangerous threat that we face as a nation. Indeed, it may be the most perilous adversary we have ever had. China believes that it is destined to be the world's only superpower. Your reaction? Well, I think that they are the most dangerous threat geopolitically, globally right now. I don't know, you know, about ever had. The Soviet Union Cold War was was pretty pretty sizable. But yes, I think that one of the problems is that we don't take it seriously enough. Right. Uh, Dave, thanks so much. Uh, Best of luck. And let's hope the president does well at the G7. My fingers are crossed. My hopes are down. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Zana Garg will be with us, uh, one of the hottest comedians in the country, bottom of the hour, uh, getting set to host One Nation. Don't forget Saturdays at 8 o'clock. It'll be great. Uh, meanwhile, I'll be able to take a lot of your calls. I've seen them up there. Have so many great guests. We're also writing some live news because the weaponization of government hearings are taking place. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I believe we can if we come to a good agreement. Because think of this. The president said he wasn't going to negotiate. We were just going to raise the debt ceiling. First of all, we have just now been able to have a victory. The president can no longer say that. All right, uh, that is Kevin McCarthy. He's on a bit of a roll. Loss of leverage for Joe as the burst of optimism about a debt ceiling deal rises, and Kevin McCarthy continues to keep the right tight. Number two. I believe that China is the most dangerous threat that we face as a nation. Indeed, it may be the most perilous adversary we have ever had. That is Robert Lighthizer, respected by everybody. U.S. versus China. President Biden tries to keep allies together at the G7 meeting and is fixated on China as he talks in Japan. Finally, Silicon Valley Dems and the GOP are on the same page. But will they sign off on the same plan? Will the president truly be on board? Number one. It's not just going after presidential candidates, presidential campaigns. Today, it's the American people. If you're a parent attending a school board meeting, you're a pro-lifer praying at a clinic, or you're a Catholic simply going to mass, you are a target of the government, target of the FBI. Uh, That is Jim Jordan. Weaponization of government in action and denial of Durham conclusion is in full stride as Dems attempt to deny, confuse and intimidate those who have not read the report, intimidate whistleblowers and want to report the corruption on the highest level of the FBI. Oh, some wild scenes. Democrats uh, never, never fail to disappoint. Do not ask questions of the four whistleblowers with these dynamic records of being special agents with the FBI who came forward and to a man, the old men, had their lives destroyed, their uh, their security clearances denied, their well, weapons licenses revoked. They can't get other jobs because they did the right thing. And Christopher Ray assured everyone this would not be a problem, and it absolutely is. And instead of the Democrats saying this is outrageous, 
they come out and they're trying to use meticulous procedural complaints to slow everything down. And it's not going to work. Here's Jim Jordan outlining what was going to happen last night on what Laura Ingram cut for. We know from the Durham report that these, these agencies have been weaponized and, and they'll go after a presidential candidate. But it's worse today because they will target the people. A parent at a school board meeting, right. a pro-lifer praying at a clinic, a Catholic attending mass. They will target people. And if you're brave like Mr. O'Boyle and you come forward and tell the truth, then they will try to crush you. They will retaliate against you just like they did to Garrett O'Boyle, a guy who served our country and has now went 250 days without getting paid because they took his clearance from him. And that's the last two, uh, those two guys are two of the four that are testifying today. I just don't understand why it's partisan. You know, I don't, you know, you want to look at his background. You want to get the FBI's point of view on it. They have information directors. Okay, go ahead. Because if they have good answers and they do, this will be something that should outrage, out, you know, outrage them. But they don't want to be on the committee. They don't think this is necessary for a committee. And the whole time they would go on Jim Jordan to make things available that aren't available. I'll give an example. O'Grady came out and he said, I don't really trust, excuse me, uh, Marcus Allen. Marcus Allen, is a, he goes, I don't really trust uh, the Democrats with my testimony. I don't really want to submit to questioning. I've been through enough with the FBI. Whistleblowers don't have to. So they kept on saying, I'm looking at a clause 1A, B, C, E, that says you have to. And they're going back and forth. This is wasting their time and delaying the whole process. They know whistleblowers don't have to talk to both sides. You have your chance to question ahead of time. And if he changes his mind, that's he changes his mind. Whistleblowers are supposed to have some rights, don't you think? Maybe Edward Snowden saying, I told you so. That's why I defected to Russia. I'm not going to defend him. But that was his point. So if you look at what happened, you have that IRS agent step up and say, I've been trying to get this uh, the Hunter Biden situation to move forward. It's clearly political. I'm going to be a whistleblower. You know what they did? They decided to disband the whole IRS investigative unit. Really? You, that, if that isn't retaliation, I don't know what is retaliation. So you don't like that somebody needs four years to investigate one guy whose whole life is on a computer, and then they decide to just disband the whole thing, and then they knock on my, Matt Taibbi's door because he decided to testify what was in the Twitter files because Elon Musk invited him to, and the IRS knocks on his door and said, yeah, I got a problem suddenly with a couple of years ago what you filed. Really? You don't mind that the public knows that you're trying to intimidate people in full view? Can you imagine if you don't have power, political stay, money to get a lawyer? The message is sent. You speak up, we're going to lash out. Cut 10. It's not just going after presidential candidates, presidential campaigns. Today, it's the American people. If you're a parent attending a school board meeting, you're a pro-lifer praying at a clinic, or you're a Catholic simply going to mass, you are a target of the government, target of the FBI. And maybe even worse than all that, if you're one of the, the thousands of good employees, brave whistleblowers who's willing to come forward, if you're one of these folks willing to come forward and talk about what's going on out there, you get attacked. They will try to crush you. It's unbelievable. Uh, and I, w- I wish I was exaggerating. Uh, I'm not. We're going to get the latest from the G7. Um, we're going to uh, to go out, be able to go out to Japan and find out what's happening there. We'll be able to do that shortly. Jackie Heinrich's going to be with us. 
But in the meantime, that's what's going on here. The other thing with the debt ceiling, when I talk about loss of leverage, it's not political gainsmanship. It's a fact. So Joe Biden began to lose leverage when he told the House to go past something. There would be a criteria for what, it would, what I would need to raise the debt ceiling. And some of the things were go back to 2022 spending, uh, put a work requirement when it comes to welfare, and repurpose the pandemic money that is just sitting and is not needed in these states and will be used for wrong things unless you do it. So go claw it back. All right, fine. They ignored it. They tried to sensationalize it. They lied about it. And then they realize that Joe Biden, they checked the calendar, is going to Japan to the G7 to reassure our allies and our enemies that we're all one speaking from the same hymn sheet, willing to take on China economically and militarily. And you can't do that if you can't pay your bills or under a deadlock when it comes to the budget because it affects everybody's economy. So if you show up at the G7 in Japan and want to talk about China, missile systems, tomahawk sales, they're not going to do it. Re, uh, you know, Repurposing, onshoring, manufacturing, they're not going to do it. They're going to go, excuse me, are you paying your debt? Is the number one economy in the world going to fail? So now Joe Biden's got to talk and actually deal with Republicans and talk optimistically. The markets love it. Because they know he is hemmed in with the debt ceiling. And I think it's great for the country, but he should never have waited to this last minute. Is there anybody in that organization, in that White House, that can look at a calendar? Here's here's uh, what Josh Krashauer said of Axios. He was on last night with uh, with Brett. And he's saying that he's, he's going to start looking past the left. Cut 24. Look, he is in re-election mode. I mean, this is someone who is already thinking about where the politics are on, on spending. You look at the polling, and, and it's clear that Republicans do have advantages on a lot of these very issues, especially when it comes to concerns about government spending. So, you know, this is classic triangulation, where Biden is, if, if it does go through, if there is a compromise reached, he wants to get some political credit, even though the Republicans have had the political sweet spot throughout, throughout the last few months. So uh, there you go. And Josh Crossauer pretty much rides it down the middle. I don't remember a time when John Boehner had leverage where Paul Ryan, you know, and because he had friction with the president, uh, Trump at the time, too, really felt and he was had friction with Obama. But I really felt like the Republicans had leverage. I really think they earned it this time. And then they pass a border bill. They go, well, Congress isn't acting. And then the Republicans turn around and pass a really tough border bill. OK, there you go. And then a crime bill. There you go. Game on. I think it's got them on their heels. Very fascinating to see that Chuck Schumer and Akeem Jeffries both voluntarily backed out of negotiations. They said, listen, this is between the speaker and the president. There's just a report with some lawmaker, Democratic lawmakers, who said the president better not be negotiating to raise the debt ceiling. I got news for you. He's negotiating. Eric Luce on WDBO. Hey, Eric. Hey, Brian. Great show today. Um, a lot of your guests have mentioned the, uh, the culpability of the media and maybe you can shed a little light. I like a lot of my friends and I, we want to know like what's in it for them. Like every, every communist takeover of a country, the first thing they do, whether it's Stalin or Mao or Pol Pot, they get rid of the media. And, uh, the big new Brzezinski predicted his own daughter and Joe Scarborough. Like what's your take on all of this media compliancy? I can't make uh, heads or tails of the media. Uh, I'm I'm watching their coverage of the Durham report, the investigations on Trump, the lack of investigations on Biden, pretending as if he's actually on his game. 
pretending that Senator Fetterman isn't a total joke. Feel bad about it, but he's totally ineffective. Nobody's reporting on the fact he can't put a sentence together. Or that Senator Feinstein is out of her mind. She has Alzheimer's. I, I don't understand what's going on. I'm trying to be kind, but for I'm asking they're asking you, the viewer, the listener, to pretend as if the media is one stop shopping to the truth, and it's not. And I, I'm I'm astounded about what they're not reporting. I mean, to think yesterday that they would have the number one story be that the president was told by the archives the true rules on what's sensitive and not. That was the story on another network. All right, when we come back, I want to get the latest on what's at stake. Uh, Jackie Heinrich, what the fallout is that the president will be leaving early from the G7. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I believe we can if we come to a good agreement. Because think of this. We, the president said he wasn't going to negotiate. We were just going to raise the debt ceiling. First of all, we have just now been able to have a victory. The president could no longer say that. So, no, the debt ceiling will not get raised with no changes. Uh that's true. And he has leverage right now where I don't think he even had it as much when this first uh, package passed from the House. I think that suddenly, in my humble opinion, President Biden looked up and said, I'm going to the G7. All these economic, all, all these countries are nervous. We're going to default or be in a, a prolonged deadlock. I better reassure the world markets. Leverage lost, in my opinion. Uh, Jackie Heinrich joins me now. Hey, Jackie. Hey, Brian. Good to be with you. So you got the short straw or long straw. You're not in Japan. Uh, depends on how you look at it, but I'm, I'm here. <laughs> right. So, so when the president left, when did he realize that the G7, was, the G7 looming was not going to work for him and it wasn't just about scheduling? You know, I think that there is just – there are a couple things at play here. I think the Treasury Secretary's last letter, because remember she sent one on May 1st, which said you've got, you know, June 1st is the deadline, soft deadline, and maybe the weeks after. Her May 15th letter said it could be days or weeks after. So administration officials pointed out to me that that is, you know, a shift in sort of the the language she's using that is geared toward pushing this along, because when you're getting the federal and state uh, income tax receipts, this is a moving deadline, but whatever they received gave them concern that, you know, we got to get this done in very short order. And I think that that added additional pressure. Um, and I also think that just the optics were going to be very bad to have the president out of the country for eight of the 16 days left at that time before you know, the, the deadline would, would be approaching. So you got to go to the G7 to hammer out the priorities of Ukraine funding and um, certainly countering China's economic influence and all of those priorities there are, are not going to, you know, you can't push off the other six G7 uh, countries and say, hey, we'll do this another time. Um, but he had to sort of balance both things. So I think he tried to make the best of it by shortening his trip and doing the Quad Summit on the sidelines of the G7 
the Papua New Guinea part where he was going to be yeah. having this historic trip, that's actually a really big loss. And I don't think people have paid enough attention to that because we had a budding agreement, a security agreement that would allow the U.S. military access to that area that was very important during World War II in exchange for huge investments in infrastructure to counter what China's doing there and the, their Belt and Road Initiative. That's not moving forward right now. And I think that we might see, you know, some regret over that at, at some point. It's going to be tough to to get that rescheduled. See, that that is lightly reported. We have not heard a lot about that. Uh, but I do think that Kevin McCarthy, when Kevin McCarthy says he shouldn't be going at all, I think that's crazy because you have to go ahead and lead the world, especially with China watching every move and every step. They want to see that we're together as, as a G7 and world economies like Japan and South Korea right in the eye of the storm with Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Uh, every day it seems to be perilous. So the president's got to get that back on the board. What I wonder, Jack, in the big picture Can't anyone with all the experience they allegedly have in the White House look at the calendar and say, wait a second, if this debt ceiling thing drags on, this might not only loom over the G7, it might embarrass the president as if we can't get our act together and might cause him not to go or amend the trip. Are you surprised they let it get to this point? Because there was no negotiating going on. Well, I think that they're going to really be regretting, you know, wasting all of the time in the lead up to this because you handed Republicans a talking point, which was that, you know, McCarthy's had a, a bill passed for several weeks now. He's been asking to talk with the president about the budget for 97 days, he keeps saying. Uh, so they really teed that up for Republicans in refusing to have any sort of talks. And now you're up against a hard deadline. They only just got the right people in the room to make it happen and, you know, punted Chuck Schumer, Hakeem Jeffries, and Mitch McConnell to the back seat. That was always how this was going to end. But I think they were reluctant to, you know, give McCarthy that, uh, you, you know, that win. And they waited too to- too long. Uh, so now now it's going to be laying at the president's feet if this all fizzles. It's not going to be McCarthy who's blamed for a default. It's going to be the president. I hear you. Here's uh, the Durham report and how it's resonating. Adam Schiff, who I think looks awful now that these revelations come out with three reports, said this. Cut one. This is an investigation that started in a flawed manner. It was conducted in a flawed manner. uh, And its conclusion uh, is a a flawed conclusion. Really? Flawed conclusion that there was no conspiracy with the Trump administration and Vladimir Putin? How's the dorm report being received? They don't want to touch it. I mean, they are they ended the briefing the other day when they were asked about this. And, you know, Corrine, I think, gave three words and then walked out of the room. They're trying to stay as far away from from that story Why? as possible and really not engaging on it at all. Why? You know, I don't know that they have a good answer. Um, I think that you had a lot of Democrats. I mean, remember, Adam Schiff was the one who was out here saying, we've got proof, we've got proof. And, um, you know. That's not good for for anyone in the president's party, um, especially when they were sort of stoking the uh, suspicion of, you know, who's tied to who, you know, all in the lead up to the election. You know, and and the president has his own issue with the 50 uh, national security officials, you know, signing this this letter saying the laptops are fraud. I think it's just, you know sticky business for them to, to even comment on yeah. um, because they've got their own skeletons in their closet. No, I agree. But I just didn't think they agreed with that. I mean, to me, it's it's unbelievable what's taken place. And then it dates back to the previous administration when they got the briefing. But I'm sure you're all over that. Jackie Heinrich, I owe you. Thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. You are now updated on Washington. Next is Honor Gark.
show that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. But speaking of college, I have to tell you, I have uncovered the world's biggest scam. Did you guys know that in this country, the parents don't get to decide what the kid's going to study? You all knew this? I really thought when my kid goes to college, I will call the college up and I will say, Comsai 1, Comsai 2, go. She wants to have some fun. I understand that. Give her one class in chemistry. It does not work that way. They're so rude, they hang up on me. So I had to call my kid and ask her. I was like, what are you enrolled in? What are you studying? Are you guys ready for this? Ceramics. $80,000 to learn how to make clay pots. Do you know who else makes clay pots? Villagers in India. Because they have nothing else to do. My kid is in Palo Alto, the epicenter of technology. Making clay pots. So that's Zorna Garg talking about a, a story that probably everybody at home can relate to because you do have a wide swath of courses to choose from, especially if you're looking to improve your GPA. Uh, Zorna is one of the most successful comedians in the country. Her comedy special, Zorna Garg, One in a Billion, premiered on Amazon Video. It just came out last week. So go to uh, – actually this week, May 16th. Go to ZornaGarg.com for more information. And already you got some good metrics coming out on this, Zorna, right? Yes, I did. Thank you so much for having great me, Great to see you again. It's so great to be here. And I understand we've talked to your people. You're going to appear this weekend yeah. on uh, on One Nation. You're back on Fox. Yes, yes. You wanted me, and here I am. Right, fantastic. And then you're going to just go on the road. Look at how busy you are. Do you know this? May 18th to 20th, the New York Comedy Club in Stanford. You'll be at the Westside Comedy Club in New York City on the 22nd. Boston, Massachusetts, the 26th and 27th. This is great for the WABC, WRCN listeners. Uh, then over Atlanta, Georgia, the 23rd and 25th of June, Punchline Comedy, and then Halifax, Nova Scotia. Now, you know that's not in America. Yes, I do know that's not in America. Right. <laughs> Are you okay with Canada? I love Canada. I was just there. I was just in Toronto. I had three sold-out theater shows this past weekend in Toronto. And you've only been doing stand-up for how long? Well, I mean, I didn't hesitate to word, use the word only. It's been five years. It's been a long time. But that is me. a – no one has that type of timeline to have the type of success you've had. Well, also, nobody has as many bills as I have to pay. So you, <laughs> The level of desperation is very high. How many kids do you have? Three. How many do you like? Uh, mm, mm. Well, one for sure. My oldest son will always be my oldest son. Right. You know what I mean? First. The girl, whatever, she comes and goes. Who knows? And the little one, we kind of hope he raises himself. Right, right that's about you it. Know? Yeah. So so this college, where do you get your material? This college, is that, is that a real-life swath of a uh, slice of your life? Yeah, everything. My entire set, one in a billion on Amazon Prime, it all is based in some truth, some reality. And, you know, if you have kids in college, I think everybody can relate we're in a crisis. Well, I think every parent who's sending a kid to college is stressed out just like me. I don't think I'm the only one. In what way? You miss them? No. <laughs> no, we were waiting for them to leave. Not that way. We miss the money that's going with them. Right. 80000 you said. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's how much these independent schools are. More. It's more. Not like, 80 is generous. It's more. 80 is the sticker that they put in the book. You know, that's never the full story. And And these kids, they go there and they don't know anything. And then they like... Oh, you could do painting, you could do art, you could do read a book, read a book while you're here. No, you know what? I have to yell at my kids constantly. If you want to read a book, come back home. 
if you're going somewhere, like get the computer secrets, like figure out how you're going to be the prime minister, the president, something, because that's what I'm paying for. I'm not right. paying for anything else. And well, it turns out you are, though, because yes. they're picking their courses. Yes. Well, I'm trying. I mean, you know what I mean? You born in India. I'm born in India. Is there any way to uh, give us an idea of the different cultures of the two countries? Well, like, look, who would I find, point out? If I went to India, what would be the biggest thing that would shock me? What would be the big thing? Like, for example, I don't think most kids who are academically inclined are thinking, what will make me happy? That right. is not a thing. They don't think that. That is India. not a thing. Nobody is allowed to think that. And we personally, as a culture, don't really believe much in happiness. Right. It's not overrated, overrated and, and simply unattainable. Right. I mean, if you think of the great philosophers, you'll know there is no happiness. The more you know, the more miserable you are because you're like, this is the world we live in. Right. Uh, but happy, like, for example, my husband and I, we grew up. It was like you go to college and what's going to get you a job? How are you going to get a job? Right. That is why you go to college. It's objective. Yeah. It's- we should approach it like a trade school. That should be your objective the whole time. No, and look, you want to do something, you know, you want to be an artist or something. That's like a side thing in India. Now, I'm not suggesting that nobody should do the arts. I pretty much think the Western kids should. Like white kids, they want to do arts. They should do arts. Like take one for the team. Right. This is your <laughs> thing. <laughs> but my people don't appreciate it. Here is more from Zorna. Is this is this third? This was 35. Zorna, I want to hear you talk about uh, uh, lawyers. Cut 34. My favorite judge, Judge Judy. Because of her, I went to law school. But I found out after I became a lawyer that you have to be a good lawyer to be appointed a judge. And I was the worst. I could never be neutral. I would take my own client to the judge and be like, Your Honor, my client has robbed the liquor store. Oh, no, my client has not robbed the liquor store. Even the judge was like, Mrs. Garg, do you know what a defense attorney does? And I could never keep a poker face. I, I would be like, but you and I both know he did it. <laughs> and that was a problem? <laughs> it was a problem. <laughs> was like, you know, you don't know how you will be at a job until you finish the schooling and the whole thing. And then if, like me, you wake up one day and you're like, this is actually not what I thought it was going to be and I'm not good at it. Right. Like, you're stuck. See, in a way, this is me not having gone to law school. I thought at some point in law school you would have come up with that conclusion. Why didn't you get it along the way? No, not at all. I was good in law school. Like, I had fun. Oh, you're thinking like a lawyer. It was, like, so scholarly and all the other words they like to use. Um, but when you get out into the business, all you're doing is filling paper. 99% of what lawyers do is filling a paper, another paper, a third paper, a fourth paper. You don't even really go to court right. much unless it's a very specific type of law. So all those TV shows that, you know, about the legal They make it profession- seem exciting. Yeah, that, that's like 5% of all lawyers out there. Right. And, and so it was a big revelation. I was like, I'm not sure this is my calling well, I'll tell you this. The other thing is that people say with a sense of humor, do you see things that are going on in the courtroom before you started being a stand-up comedian and thought, this is, I, I have to say, were you funny in the courtroom? Did oh, you see these opportunities? Brian, I kid you not. I used to write so many notices of motions and like all these legal documents and then send them to the opposing side. And I would get emails back and calls like, it was so funny. Your document was so fu-. I was like, I'm trying to sue you. <laughs> ah! 
<laughs> I, did you read the part where I said I'm going to take all your money? I'm going to garnish your wages. <laughs> They're like, yeah, but before that, we laughed out loud. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Now you do talk about Ted Cruz. Yes. Should we hear it? Yeah, sure. If you Cut want. Cut thirty-three. Yeah. But for the rest of us, the brownies really hard to come here. The visa, the paperwork, years of waiting, and you get here and you find out that everybody hates everybody. The Democrats hate the Republicans. The Republicans hate the Democrats. Pro-choice, pro-life, pro-gun, MacBook Pro. By the time I got my green card, I was like, I'm not so sure about this. <laughs> the only thing everybody seems to agree on is that everybody hates Ted Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> he does, well, he's he's very he, he's easy to dislike because he's always in the press. Well, you know, I get that. But, you know, you want to know something funny? I had a lot of sold-out shows in Texas, and that joke killed in Texas. It killed in Texas. I did it as a test the first show. I was like, let me see how this goes. And I had a few backups prepared, like, to replace Ted Cruz. And the joke killed. I was like, oh, my God. I think everybody kind of sort of has strong feelings about him. Right. Even if the people who vote for him are like, Argh. See, I'm so involved in it. Uh, obviously, Ted Cruz is always in the news. Are people outside my world know who he is? Clearly, right? Yeah, everybody and knows who he kills. is. Yeah. Right. It killed in Canada. <laughs> it killed in Canada. Where he actually, that's where Trump said he was from. He's, that's what I heard he's from. And it right. killed in Canada. I was nervous in Canada, too. Right. And it's not, I personally have nothing against it. I don't even know much about him and what he does beyond the, the headlines, which I'm I'm okay to admit. I right. feel like a lot of people don't want to admit that they don't know much. Right. But I've learned to just admit it. But even when you're a supporter of his, there's something about him that seems too great. <laughs> uh, and he's going to go for it. He's up for re-election. He's not going to run for president. Does it, does it astound you? Where does Trump fall in your act? Because he's the most famous person in, in the world. Right. By, by far. Right. And everyone's got an opinion. No one says, I haven't made my mind up. Yeah. So how do you handle that? Not because- anymore. I think when he first ran, there were people who were like, maybe he's got something. He is the change. Maybe he is the change. Back the, the first time he ran. At this point, you're either on his side or you're not. Done. Right? Yeah. And I can't be on his side for all kinds of reasons that we all, you know, may choose to agree or disagree on. I do think that he had something all along and he was trying to make sense. He was. I believe that. But somewhere along the way, him with his bombastic, you know, attitude and and just... Got, fell off the like a lot of good things fell off the deep end. Right in life, there's so many good things, but then you push that good thing to the edge, and now it's not making sense. You know anymore. what's crazy? You're you're originally from where in India? From Mumbai. From Mumbai. So I know where the president appeared with uh, Modi. Yeah. The crowd he got, the reception he received. How do you explain? It's very popular in India. It Indian seems. people are not against Trump. They're not against. How, why is that? Because a lot of what. The Republicans and the conservatives and Trump's stance for we understand and believe in a lot of it. And then a lot that has happened since his first election has been like, okay, okay, even if we believe we don't necessarily agree with how you're doing this and what you're saying. And, you know, so I think he started with with a lot of optimism among the Indian people. Yeah. And then it kind of got really muddy. 
Right. At least for me. No, it's it's. But it's, it's also paralleling what we have in India. In Modi has haters. He does. Yeah. They're serious haters. There and and he has his followers that will support him no matter what he does. But didn't some people not like Gandhi? Of course, and there are people today. There's a whole theory out there that Gandhi was actually a Pakistani sympathizer, and what, like there's all yeah. kinds of theories. Allison, have you been saying that? Yeah, <laughs> you've been saying that. I'm so sick of that. Um, there's another thing you can understand too, because you're involved with all these Hollywood guys. You mentioned that people you're talking with and you're yeah. have your special out. But I also thought it was interesting that people are always concerned about being canceled, especially in your world. When Dave Chappelle, the top comedian yeah. in the country, they spend all the time trying to cancel him. Yeah. Uh, and he refuses to be canceled. I love it. Yeah. And guess who what? John Cleese, another legend. Yes. Here's what he said about being canceled. I don't get canceled because I do stage shows. And the lovely thing about doing stage shows is that people think to themselves, I like him, so I'll buy a ticket. The audience <laughs> is pre-selected to like me. So he's saying you can't cancel me. As long as I can sell out a theater, I got the theater. Do you feel the same way? Uh, I, if, feel, yeah. I feel Not that you're politically incorrect anyway. No, but I, I can, like, I'm sure there are, you know, any number of uh, opinions about me and my work, and it's fine. Yes, the stage shows are your direct connect with the audience. But in my case, I'm also a digital creator. I have a whole digital life. So people can choose to like me or not, but my, the people who do understand and appreciate what I do have a direct way to communicate. So I'm not dependent on the gatekeepers and on the tastemakers to spin my words this way or that way, you know? So between the stage shows and my direct, uh, my digital life, I feel like I am connecting. You are your own business. I am my own business. Absolutely. Right. You're not waiting for the phone to ring. No, never. You fire up the iPhone. I, I, I put it on airplane mode. I, I know <laughs> when somebody wants me, they're going to find me. Understand. Yeah. Uh, Zana is going to be here for a little while longer. Keep in mind, her special is now out. It's called Zana Gorg, One in a Billion. It premiered on Amazon Video on May 16th. So go download it. Already on your analytics, you love this. The people are not only watching your promo, they're watching the whole thing. Yes. And that means usually a click through. Yes. Completion rate is very important in streaming services because you in this business is brutal. You get three seconds. If people watch past three seconds, that's a metric. People watch past 15 seconds, that's another metric. People watch it to completion. Mm-hmm. That's a sign that they're connecting with you. Right. Like I'll give you an example. They stop listening to me because they, they're like, that's why they're behind the glass. They're tired of me. Yes. So I walk in. I don't even get three seconds. Yeah. So you are lucky. Uh, back in a moment, more from Zona, and then she's going to preview her appearance on One Nation Saturday on Fox News. Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Kill Me coming up. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Guns are a problem in America, right? I get asked if guns are legal in India. Yeah, they're legal, but they're not really dangerous. But the whole country has 15 bullets, which the police has to share. I mean, there's something to be said for living in an impoverished nation. I mean, who can think of a mass shooting when the house is floating away in the monsoon? And here you always find out that the people who commit these atrocities, they were a loner. They were lonely. They were alone. But what Indian is ever alone? (laughs) 
12 people share one heart? Then you find out that the shooter had mental health issues. Mental health? There's no mental health back home. We still have cholera. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, and people love it. Zana, Zana Garg is here. And by the way, it's G-R-G-A-R-G That's when right. people want to follow you on social media. And it's at Zarna Garg on Twitter. Is it the same thing on Instagram? Everywhere. And on All everywhere. the big platforms, yes. Okay. Yes. Um, how does this go over with your audience? I mean, I, does it, do the Indian people get insulted by this, by the fun you're having? Does anyone have come to you and go, hey, don't diminish our country? Because to me, it's hysterical. I don't think so. They know that I'm coming from a place of love. And, and it's the jo- this particular joke that you just played, it's also poking on both directions. It's not just India. Yeah. It's America, too. You know, it's like here there's guns, there's bullets. Like they shower bullets. When you see these war images, the amount of things that are showered, like, you know, the bullets, the yeah. the missiles. and so, No other country can afford to do anything like that. Right. Like if we had those amount of bullets and guns and missiles, they would be in a museum. People would be taking photos with them. It right. would be like, can we do this any other way? Can we kill these people any other way? We should drop donuts on them. That's what's going to kill them. So you know? in India, could you have you been back since you got famous? I don't. I'm not famous. For, so India's a big country. Successful? And success. Yeah, I've been back the few to months To do ago. stage? No. no. Oh, that's what I mean. No. I would love to see. No. Would you have to write new material back in India? I would have to edit my set a little bit just yeah. for – because right now it's very much I'm an immigrant in America. So I would have to edit the beginning and some of it. But but a lot of it they will love the way it is because they're very exposed to American pop culture. This is a country that's fully mm. exposed. They under, If they're watching Friends and Seinfeld in India as if you, they're New Yorkers. You got to know Amy Poehler or Tina Fey? Yes. What's that like? Amazing. I mean, they're the OGs, and they were so incredibly warm and welcoming. I couldn't believe it. Like, I I couldn't believe that I was there, and I had the honor of opening their first few shows. Fantastic. It's been amazing. Check her out in Stanford, Connecticut, in New York City at, uh, at the Westside Comedy Club in Boston at Laugh Boston, as Punchline Comedy in Atlanta, Georgia, and Halifax, Nova Scotia at the Halifax Citadel Garrison Grounds. Add Zarna Garg. Thanks, Zarna. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on Outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the show ad free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.